IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IB Talk, the global insurance podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. I'm Paul Lucas, the managing editor of Insurance Business, and we've been very fortunate over these last couple of months in bringing you some of the biggest names across the industry. We've had CEOs from insurance associations, as well as representatives from some of the biggest brokerages and insurers in the world. But we haven't yet had someone who's worked at state level. So let's put that right, shall we? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this week's guest is a former superintendent of the New York State Department, a retired managing director and global insurance regulatory leader at Deloitte, and now an independent corporate director for Insight, Howard Mills. Howard, welcome to IB Talk. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here. So, Howard, um, I think you've had a fascinating career. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and how you worked your way into the New York State Assembly. <laughs> well, uh, like many people uh, who've had uh, long careers in the insurance industry, I didn't actually set out to go into the insurance industry. <laughs> I, I started out uh, in government working on Capitol Hill for a longtime congressman who became a mentor to me, ran for a series of local offices, uh, mayor and so forth, and wound up a member of the New York State Assembly. And when in the Assembly, I found myself assigned to the Insurance Committee, the committee responsible for drafting the legislation that governs the regulators in the state of New York, Um, a very leading state in the insurance industry, obviously, uh, a very large market in the United States, which is the largest market in, in the world. And so as a member of the legislature, working very actively at the National Conference of Insurance Legislators, I started to interact regularly with insurance regulators, and that led to my interest in um, becoming superintendent of the New York State Insurance Department, which uh, thankfully uh, Governor George Pataki, the then governor at the time, uh, appointed me to in 2005. Just uh, just backtracking for a second there, I mean, you said, Initially, you know, you, you kind of fell into the industry a little bit because you, your focus was on government. How did you feel about sort of getting involved with the insurance aspect initially? Were, was there some reluctance at your end or were you ready to embrace it? Uh, no, no reluctance at all. Obviously, a very large industry, very critical to the state of New York, a lot of uh, employment opportunities and so forth. And it was interesting, uh, of all the many, many industries, and there are lots of them, obviously, uh, that when I was elected to the state legislature, uh, I had a lot of interaction with um, real uh, with the insurance industry, agents and brokers, for example, um, very large active organizations, trade associations, would reach out to new legislators in an attempt to educate them about uh, issues that were critical to the insurance industry in New York. So a lot of my initial exposure came from the agent broker side, the Independent Agents Association of the state of New York, again, reaching out to a new legislator, coming to visit with me in my office in Albany and saying, look, you know, these are the issues that are very important to the insurance industry in New York state. We'd like to spend some time with you. And I just found that um, very, very educational, very informative, and led to my interest in the industry. Yeah, and then when you you move into that role, and as superintendent of the New York State Insurance Department, uh, it was a role that I believe you were in for a, about a year. Um, tell us a little bit about what that involves on a day to day basis. Well, I was superintendent for two years, two thousand five, two thousand six, 
which were critical years for the insurance industry in New York uh, State and nationally. So I came into office at the time that the then Attorney General of the state of New York, Elliot Spitzer, was conducting a lot of probes. There had been the, the finite reinsurance, the contingent commission probes. Uh, I was very concerned as the regulator that the entire industry was being tarnished with too broad a brush. So I had some, uh, some interactions, if you will, or some, some entanglements with the Attorney General and was a bit critical of some of the methodology that, that the Attorney General was using at the time. Uh, again, on contingent commissions, the finite reinsurance, these were legitimate products. They were not illegal uh, activities. Uh, there had been some uh, inappropriate use, of course, but the whole industry was getting kind of tarnished with a broad brush. So I got very involved in those issues. Also at that time, uh, in 2005, 2006, we were facing the first expiration of the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act in Congress which, of course, had been back, uh, passed as the federal backstop to the property casualty industry to ensure that terrorism cover would remain available after 9-11. And uh, as the New York superintendent, obviously very impacted by uh, the real estate issues, all the commercial real estate issues with the lack of, of terrorism insurance, uh, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners asked me to be the point person, if you will, with Congress. So I spent a lot of time during my superintendency working on uh, lobbying Congress to renew the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, which they did do uh, toward the end of my time in office. Well, I was going to ask you actually about any um, sort of key developments during your tenure, if anything passed that you were particularly proud of, but I, I'm guessing that's one of them. That certainly was one of them. The other thing that I would say I was a hallmark of my time as superintendent was we began the transition from the old formulaic way of doing examinations to a risk-based examination format. So when we looked at how the regulator went in and conducted financial exams for insurance companies in New York, you know, it was always looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, it was a very long, cumbersome process. So we began the new way of doing it, which is risk-based exams, which allows the regulator to go in with a laser focus on the areas that they have identified as an area of concern, requiring more examination, more study of reserves, for example. And so that movement toward risk-based exams, which is now um, the preferred way of doing it, was begun while I was superintendent. And I would, I would cite that as one of my major accomplishments in office. Yeah, and, and what sort of issues were, were brokers and agents uh, approaching you about at that time? Well, I, I go back to what I said just a moment ago. Agents and brokers were really concerned about the probes being conducted into the industry at the time. Uh, one of the largest three global brokers was, was being very, very heavily impacted by the contingent commission uh, issue from the Attorney General's office. And um, I think, frankly, that the industry was, was uh, uh, happy to see a regulator uh, stand up uh, and say, look, you know, we can't paint the whole industry with too broad a brush. We have to remember that finite reinsurance, for example, which was being treated as if it were an illegal act, has legitimate uses in the market and was not, in fact, an illegal product. So uh, that was the way I tried to uh, form a bridge and be responsible with the agents and brokers given the, the very tumultuous time that the industry was going through in, in 2005, 2006. Just raise that question. Um, 
where do you stand on on broker commissions? Because I think you know it's 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 a question that still swirls to this day, doesn't it? In terms of you know how transparent brokers um, should be with 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 their clients. Um, do you think that they should be completely one hundred percent upfront? Should everything be fee based? Where, where do you stand on the issue? Well, I think we need complete transparency, and we are seeing the regulators very much going in the direction. Uh, when you look at the suitability, the best interest standard regulations that we're seeing passed all over the country, New York DFS Reg 187 requiring that you know these products be sold exclusively based upon the best interests of the consumer, that is the way that we should be going. And that is, in fact, one of the things that drew me to join the board of Ensight, one of the companies on whose board I sit. Um, Ensight has, in fact, developed a, a platform that enables that type of transparency and best interest of the consumer in the sale of life insurance products. Yeah, I want to come to you about Ensight in just a minute, but tell me a little bit about your career at Deloitte, because you were there, I think, for around 13 years. Um, so you've been focused on sort of developing thought leadership around the impact of regulation. And I realize this is a probably a, a, a giant question, but but over the last sort of decade or so, the, during your time there, I mean, what do you see as the most important piece of legislation um, that the industry is the industry has introduced? And, uh, and and do you maybe even think that there are some gaps currently that they need to shore up? Well, uh, so yes, I joined Deloitte directly after leaving the uh, superintendency of the New York Insurance Department. Spent nearly thirteen years as a partner and our global insurance regulatory leader. Um, and I had the opportunity to serve the industry, both property casualty, life, reinsurance industry, and help them as a, as a consultant uh, to meet a broad array of challenges. And I, and I remained very engaged as I, as I remain today uh, with the regulators, both here in the U.S. and, and internationally. And that is a broad question, Paul. Gosh, the, the challenges that the industry has faced in that, you know, more than a decade are, are myriad. I would say that enhancement of technology platforms ranks very much at the top of the list. Uh, during that time, of course, we had the whole advent of cybersecurity becoming a, a top, top issue. And I would say that right now today, with uh, COVID-19 in this you know, horrible global pandemic, we are seeing one of the biggest issues that the insurance industry has faced, and although it's you know it's it's really centered on the property casualty industry, the business interruption pandemic exclusion, and a lot of this litigation that we are going to be seeing, I fear that the business interruption pandemic exclusion issue is not understood by the general public and has the potential to really. Uh, damage uh, inappropriately because it, it shouldn't be, but damage the reputation of the industry because people just don't understand why there was this pandemic exclusion. It, it, there should have been. Uh, it's appropriate, but you know the 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 tort bar and the trial attorneys are are going to be saying a lot of very bad things about the industry, and I worry about the reputational damage. Yeah, it's actually something that we um, on, on our previous IB Talk podcast we that we sort of delved into uh, with the broker that we spoke to on, on that occasion. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm really interested in your perspective because, you know, on, on one side, you know, if you're looking at it as a broker, you know, probably you sympathize with, with your clients, you know, they've, you know, they may potentially losing business, uh, you know, they're not able to open up, etc. Uh, but then on the flip side, you know, I'm, they 
sympathise with with the insurers too, who, let's be honest, didn't create these policies um, ever thinking of of something like the coronavirus pandemic for for the most part and and all the sort of the government shutdowns and so on that have come with it. where do you stand on the issue, and in terms of in terms of a long term solution, I suppose, because you know, is it going to require some sort of reaction between the government and the insurers themselves? I know there's been talk of a sort of a, a pandemic re type solution in the UK. Is that something that you could see being introduced? I, I certainly can, and, and I've been writing on this subject quite a bit and, and speaking out on it. And, and the bottom line is. That and of course everyone has uh, complete empathy for these businesses uh, in the hospitality industry all across the uh, the economy that have been so severely impacted by this horrible pandemic. But um, business interruption policies were always intended to address the needs of businesses when they've had physical damage from regularly occurring events that happen all around the globe that have geographic location and are limited in their scale. Although a hurricane can be devastating, there is a there is a specific geographic location and there is a duration and it will eventually end. A pandemic by its very nation uh, by its very nature is is uninsurable. It is a global event. It, it has no geographic boundaries, and we simply don't know how long it will last. It will last, in fact, until there is a vaccine that is developed and distributed globally, and that is going to take a very long time. And if this litigation and, and all these attempts to retroactively rewrite legal contracts where regulators, and it's a very important point, Paul, regulators approve all of the contract language and the standard business interruption policies. Uh, and it excluded pandemic. It excluded bacteria, viral, bacterial contamination, etc. If these attempts to retroactively rewrite legal contracts were to succeed, it could be devastating. It would be catastrophic for the property casualty industry in that it would turn the coronavirus event into something it's not a solvency event for the property casualty industry. You would see property casualty insurers fail because they simply do not have the ability to reserve enough to cover these losses, which they never never covered and they never collected premium for. Another very critical point, there was no premium collected for payouts on a pandemic. And if if the PC industry is, is crushed with this burden, companies will fail and then going back to, and we're seeing it right now, we're in the midst of, of a very potentially active hurricane season, um, business interruption insurance will not be available. It will not be affordable. It's uh, worrying times, to put it mildly. But I, I want to switch base with you a little because you mentioned actually just a few moments ago about sort of the technology aspect and and, and how important that's been um, over over the last sort of decade or so. And it's it's something I guess you're looking to sort of further even more now, because um, as, as you mentioned, you've joined the board of directors at Insight, which for those who don't know is a is a platform to that's designed to sort of help drive sales and, and revenue across the the life and annuity insurance market. Um, so tell us a little bit about why this was something you wanted to get involved with. Does it sort of reflect back to what you were saying earlier about how important uh, these these technology movements have been over the last decade? 
Yes, it certainly does. So when, when Insight approached me about joining the board and I, and I learned more about the company and the platform that they've developed, I was very excited because it does address those technological needs, as, as you mentioned, Paul. And also, it kind of brought me back to my roots as a regulator because the Insight platform, although it, it certainly does drive sales for producers and insurers, and that's a very good thing, and that's a noble thing, actually. We want to increase the number of people who have adequate life insurance coverage because it, it does so much good to help save families when terrible things happen. Um, the Insight platform is also very, very good for the consumer because it is the best product on the market. I'd say really pretty much the only product on the market that enables the producer, the, the agent, the salesperson, whomever, sitting with the consumer, and, and I say sitting, uh, they're not sitting face-to-face -face anymore because of the pandemic, but through a virtual platform that can be shared in real time to really illustrate uh, what a life insurance product does far, far, far better than the old method of so-called illustration, which was reams of paper of a very static event, you know, given these scenarios. Um, the the Insight platform is a real-time modeling tool so the consumer sees what they're buying. They can buy the product that really best suits them and their needs, compliant with very stringent standards like New York DFS Reg 187, suitability, best interest for the consumer. And it has the added benefit for the insurance company at the end of the process that it creates a digital, digital and fully auditable trail of the transaction that happened between the producer and the consumer so that if the regulator ever comes along and says to an insurance company, you know, compliant with, you know, suitability, best interest standards and enforcement action, why did you sell this product to Mr. Paul Lucas? Well, here is what Mr. Lucas saw. This is what Mr. Lucas did. This is the decision Mr. Lucas made based upon his best interests. So it enables the insurers to be fully compliant with these suitability best interest standards. Looks like I don't have a claim to make in that circumstance. Um, but do, do you think that, um, you know, if we go back to the coronavirus pandemic just for a minute, because insurance has always been seen as a very slow adapter with, with technology, um, but this pandemic situation has almost like forced people's hands in a way. Um, it's it's really changed the landscape. So do you think that insurance now has is, is starting to make a, a real change and that, you know, sort of relying more on, on, on tech platforms and, and, and uh, you know, technology like the one you've just described there will be sort of the, the way forward. Yes, they've had to, obviously. They had to, uh, on a dime, uh, move in a, in a way that the industry was moving toward, but, but very, very slowly. Uh, the, the shutdown caused by the coronavirus pandemic immediately forced a virtual work world, and the insurance industry really was not ready for that, but they have moved along very, very quickly by necessity uh, in working remotely. The sales of life insurance products, for example, was always an intensive face-to-face -face encounter. There's the old cliche, life insurance is never bought, it's sold, and it was a difficult product to sell, and the insurance industry is now looking to insight. Um, uh, as a way of doing these sales in a virtual way, and I would I would submit it's actually better than the face-to-face -face encounter because again the the consumer through the Insight platform, for example, is getting a more accurate 
a much better detailed explanation of what the product they're purchasing does and we're able to make sure that they make a better choice for themselves. But certainly, Paul, to your point, the industry has had to move toward a very, very aggressive technological uh, adoption to enable this working remote environment. And I really think that that is here to stay, even when the pandemic ends, and we certainly all hope that that is sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think that we'll ever go back to the old model. It'll be a hybrid model for sure. There will, we will get back to human interaction and people going to offices. But the ability to work remotely is now here to stay, and there are some very, very good advantages to be gained from that. There are probably some brokers who are listening to this who think, well, actually, you know, I, I thrive in a face-to-face -face environment, but maybe I'm not particularly comfortable um, with tech. It's it's a whole new platform for me, and I, I just, you know, I'm not I'm not used to, to selling products that way. Are there any sort of tips that you you would pass on if, if they're perhaps getting used to doing this? Maybe not necessarily for the first time, but certainly the the first time on such an extent. Well, it's just going to be absolutely critical to, to the profession going forward to be an adopter of technology and to be comfortable with the technology because the consumer is going to demand it. So anyone out there who's not that comfortable with technology and, and the use of technology, they're just going to have to uh, adapt and, and learn to, to do that because the consumer is, is going to come to expect that and there'll be no way to really be competitive in this marketplace if you're not able to, to play in, uh, on, that, uh, on that playing field. And, and your role at Ensight is uh, still one that, that like you, you mentioned earlier, sort of relates back to the regulatory side of things, uh, particularly focused on, on best interest regulations. Can you tell us a little bit more? Well, as a member of the board at Ensight, I'm, I'm really uh, uh, helping the company to, to develop and fine-tune the product uh, keeping a very, very close eye on its ability to be fully compliant with what we expect to become even more stringent suitability best interest standards going forward. I fully expect that you'll see regulators um, really get very interested in how life insurance products, annuity products, and long-term care products, or their products that uh, Insight is able to help with as well, annuities and long-term care, not just the, the life insurance side. They're going to be very interested in how these products are sold and how the consumer is interacting with the producers. And they're going to start doing market conduct exams to do, you know, again, one of the critical functions of any regulator is consumer protection. They're going to want to know how the consumer is is getting information, the veracity of that information. And they're going to want to see is the sales process geared toward the best interest of the consumer or is it geared toward, to your earlier point and your, your question about contingent commissions and, and rewards for brokers and producers, you know, the regulators are not interested in that. They want to see what's best for the consumer. Well, just to, and I'm going to ask you one of these those very broad questions again, Howard. But um, you know, if if you are a broker or an agent, and you know, you're you're looking at things and you're thinking, well, you know, I want to do the right thing by my clients. I want to be transparent. I want to do everything above board and follow all of the legislation and the regulation. If you were to give them sort of a, a checklist to sort of get started and things that they need to make sure that they're doing in every conversation that they have, what sort of things would be on that checklist? 
Well, they need to have the technological platform that's able to convey to the consumer uh, uh, all the choices and in a way that really is geared toward their best interests. They're going to have to be very, very, very careful to make sure that everything that they present, everything that they share is really based upon the best interest of the consumer and not any financial reward on their end. They're going to have to be very aware of all of the regulations and, and keep track of any changes, and it's a very, very liquid environment. The NAIC is looking at this all of the time, and they're going to have to be able to document. They're going to have to be ready if a regulator ever comes along and says, okay, uh, we'd like to know why this product was sold to this consumer and was it done in the spirit of the best interest and the suitability of the consumer. They're going to have to document that, and that's not easily done. And that's one of the things that makes the Insight platform very unique and exciting because it can do that. I want to change uh, pace a, a little bit with you, Howard, just before we wrap up, because uh, I understand that you're you're something of a, a great outdoorsman, uh, a keen fisher, a hiker, and a hunter. Um, are, are these weekend hobbies for you? Uh, well, uh, I, we're very fortunate. My family and I uh, have a home up in the Adirondack Mountains of New York State, which uh, for those of your listeners who might not be that familiar with the Adirondacks, it's it's a gorgeous, uh, unbelievable area. The Adirondack Park in the state of New York is bigger than Yellowstone um, and uh, and Monument Park, federal parks combined. It's the largest uh, park in the lower 48 states. It's just beautiful, and we live on a beautiful lake up there. And so, yes, my my kids and I do a lot of hiking and boating and fishing and hunting, and it's. Uh, it's uh, just a, a wonderful place to be. Yeah, it's something that I mean, you know, that, forgive my ignorance here, but I guess being UK based, I've I've always seen the sort of the the, the hunting and the fishing, etc. The, the part of it, that part of American culture is being more sort of linked to the maybe the the more rural states, the the Wyoming's or, or maybe the southern states. Um, where did you, sort of how did you get uh, hooked on these kind of things? Well, New York State's a very big place, and uh, you, you'd be very mistaken if you just think of, of, of New York City as representing New York State. True. Upstate New York and western New York is very vast, a lot of open country, and the whole United States has lots of, of open space like that. So those types of outdoor activities are, are really uh, treasured pastimes by many uh, many people here, and I just kind of grew up in it, and I've always loved it, and I'm happy to be able to pass it on to my children. So it's the age-old question, Howard. Uh, what's the biggest fish you've ever caught? <laughs> well, uh, in Lake George, I would say a 20-inch uh, uh, lake trout is by my biggest catch up in Lake George. Does that mean it was really 15-inch? or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with 20. All right. Howard, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been been really, really interesting. Um, for everybody listening, I've been Paul Lucas. This is IB Talk, and we will talk to you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes. 